We're going to pick up this morning right where we left off last week. If you are a visitor here this morning, you have come in the middle of a sermon series on the 23rd Psalm. We've made it through three verses so far. I don't know if it's been as good for everybody else as it has been for me, but I know this has been a really good study for me as a pastor to really dig into the 23rd Psalm, to be reminded that the Lord is my shepherd. He's my shepherd and that He watches over us. Let's read the Psalm together, Psalm 23, verses 1 through 6. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's look again at verse 4, which will be our text for the day. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I want to preach to you this morning on this simple thought, the God of the valley. The God of the valley. Let us pray. Lord, we're so grateful for your sweet presence here this morning. God, I am grateful for the blessed opportunity to come and preach. And God, I do not take it lightly this morning as I kneel before these people, but most importantly, before You. God, this is the church, Father. The people, Lord, that You shed Your blood for. That Your Son was willing to come and die for. And this morning, we need You. God, I need You. I confess to You, Lord, that there is nothing in and of myself, and there is nothing from me that will help these people with anything in life, and with anything in eternity. God, I need You to speak through me. It's You that we need. It's Your Word that we need. It's Your comfort that we need. It's Your direction that we need. It's Your voice that we need to hear. And God, the best I know how, I ask this morning that You would just use me, this body, my voice, my lips, that You would speak through me. God, I pray if there be anything in me that would hinder you from doing that, that you would forgive me right here and right now in this very moment, that there would be nothing hindering. We pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts this morning. God, that we would leave not only challenged, but that we would leave changed forever. That you would do an eternal work in our hearts this morning. We pray if there be any here that are lost, God, that today would be the day they are saved. I pray that You would lift up the spirits of those that are discouraged and downcast. God, that You would be exalted this morning as we talk about You. As we listen to Your Word teach us about You. Have Your way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Though I walk through the valley. Though I walk through the valley. We would like to think that 
our Christian life is really just a mountaintop experience, wouldn't we? I love being on the mountaintop. I love going to the mountains. I love our ski trip that we take annually. And one of my favorite things to do is get up as high as I can on the mountain and just look as far as you can look. I think it's cool, probably because I was born here in the plains. And for us, a mountain, you know, is uh, from the stoplight up the hill to, to here. And so when I get to go to the mountains, I find it fantastic. I think it's beautiful. A lot of times in... Uh, when I go to North Carolina, I have the opportunity to stay up on a mountain in a cabin and I'll sit out on the porch and just overlook the valley and it's beautiful. There's something majestic about it. I can't really put it into words other than to say it's breathtaking at times. It's, I just like to sit there and do nothing. And I'm not a sit there and do nothing kind of a guy. I like to do something. But there's something about being on top of the mountain that's peaceful. And we would like to think that our Christian life, that our Christian walk, it's just like a bunch of mountaintops, right? It's from one mountaintop to the other mountaintop. And, and it's, we will use that analogy, but if we'll stop and think about it, if you're on one mountaintop today and you're going to be on another mountaintop next month, there's only one way to get there. You've got to come down off of where you're at into the valley and work yourself back up to the next mountaintop. And I'm here to tell you this morning that real Christian living, at a lot, we go through valleys. We do. We go through valleys. And I don't mean to tell you the end of the sermon before I really work myself through it. We're going to make it through and it's going to be okay. And we're going to come out on the other side in the green pasture. But you've got to understand that Christian living is a life of, of mountaintops and valleys. It is. It, it is. A, it is. Life in general, circumstances, the things that we face, sometimes it seems like everything is good, sometimes it seems like everything is bad. We must learn to mature in our Christianity and in our faith in God that, that we're not emotionally like this. But the reality is that life is like that. That is life, brothers and sisters. Sometimes life gets hard and we will go through the valley. What is it like when you're in a valley? How do you know if you're in a valley? One of the first things that I want to say about being in the valley is that when you're in a real valley, a spiritual, a, an emotional valley, it'll feel like it's impossible to get anywhere. It'll feel like there is no way that I can get out of this thing because you try to look up to where you think you're supposed to be and the task looks daunting. It looks like that could never happen. A few years ago, we were at uh, Hermit Basin for our ski trip and there's a, there's a mountain that you can climb. And in my wisdom, I chose not to climb the thing. I thought, that, that looks insane. And the guys are saying, hey, we're going to go do this. We're going to climb to the top. And uh, so a few of them climbed up quite a ways and they called and they said, are we at the top? Because they kind of come to a plateau where it sort of looked like they were at the top. They thought they were at the top of the mountain. But from down here looking up, they were at the exact halfway point. They were breathing hard. like I mean, they thought they had really accomplished something. And I thought, that's exactly why I didn't do that thing. You see, when you're in the valley and you're looking at where you're trying to go, it seems awful hard. This has nothing to do with the sermon, but just in case you wanted to know, Branson tried it by himself. He got up there and it was about lunchtime. We looked up and he was, I mean, trucking down as far, as fast as you can run down the hill. 
He was running. I mean, and we thought, he is hungry or something. He's afraid he's going to miss lunch because they only serve lunch at a certain time there. You miss it, you miss it. Turns out he thought he heard footsteps of wolves around him and he's afraid he's about to get attacked. It's a true story. He's right there. I'm telling the truth. He thought he was getting stalked by wolves and, and all of a sudden fear overtook him and he came pounding down the mountain. But when you're in a valley, it seems like it's impossible to get where you need to go. When you look to the left, all you see is, I've got to climb to get up. When you look to the right, all you can see is, I've got to climb to get up. And, 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 and you don't see the end of the valley. You, you turn around, you don't see where it began. And it, being in a valley can feel like you are so sunk in, you are so far down, that there is no way you're ever going to come up out of this thing. I want you to know this morning that you're coming through the valley. You are going to come up out of that thing. It's going to happen one step at a time. God's not just going to supernaturally lift you up out of that valley and set you on the mountaintop. But the worst thing you can do in the time of your valley is quit moving your feet is sit down and say, I'm just going to sit here in despair. My life is over. I'm going to die here. It's never going to get better. You've got to get enough courage inside your belly, inside your gut to say, I'm just going to keep moving. I don't know how I'm going to get there. I don't know when I'm going to get there. But one day at a time, I'm going to keep on moving. I will not sit down and die in this valley. How do you know if you're in a valley? In a valley, Number one, everything looks hard to do. I've been there. I've been there at times when it seemed like it was going to kill me to go mow the yard. 20 minutes. 20 minutes. And I could sit there and soak for two hours and do nothing but try to come up with enough energy to mow the yard for 20 minutes. Can't do it. It's just such a huge, daunting task. Many of you know. See, you've been there. Everything seems difficult when you're in the valley. One of the other fears of being in a valley is that you feel vulnerable to your enemies. I mean, it is, it, is a, it is a fact of war. It is a fact of hunting. It is just a fact of nature that whoever has the high ground is in the better position. And so when you're in the valley and there's nowhere to go, you can't go down any further. You know that you're surrounded by people that are, your enemies are above you and it seems like you're just vulnerable to attack. When you're in a spiritual valley, you'll feel like you are incredibly vulnerable to attack. There will be certain things that you thought, I never would struggle with this. I have overcome this thing. I come up out of that mess. I would never turn back to my past. I would never think the things I used to think. I would never live the way I used to live. And then you find yourself in a prolonged valley and the old enemy of the flesh tries to creep up on you and you start thinking things you hadn't thought before. You feel weak and you feel fearful that I might do something I wouldn't have done back there when I was up on the mountain. And you feel like there is there's a constant attack that's, that's about to occur. You feel weak. You feel vulnerable. You feel like if one thing goes wrong, I'm going to be destroyed. This happens in Christian living. This happens in the valley. It seems too difficult to get out. It seems like there's nowhere to go. It seems like we are vulnerable to our enemies. It's through the valleys of life that I have, over the last 14 years, been most fearful 
of the enemies in my life. And I don't mean the enemies from outside. I mean the enemies from within inside. You know, the truth is that each of us carry our own worst enemies within. Now, I'm not saying there are no other enemies outside, and I'm not saying there's not a devil that wants to come out and destroy us. But there is a flesh nature that hates the things of God, that hates the the living of the Spirit, that constantly wants to cause us to question the walk of faith. That constantly wants you to do what you understand best and to work in the power of your own understanding. And it's when we're in the valley that that flesh nature will start to creep up and, and say things like, well, where's your God at now? If God's so good, why are you going through what you're going through? If God's really in control, then how come your circumstances are the way they are? If God's really going to protect you, then how come you feel so weak? And how come your enemies seem like so much? And, and that old enemy from within, he seems to have the high ground when you're going through the valley. It's been in those moments, I'm just telling you the truth, that I feared the most that I would make a poor decision. That I would say something I regretted. That I would do something I regretted. That I would say something or act away or, 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 or neglect something important in my life just because I'm just exhausted from continuing to, to move on. This is how you know when you're going through a valley, when you find yourself facing these things. And here's, here's what I want to say this morning before I begin to look at the good news. You need to know this this morning if you're a Christian. You need to know this. If you're going through a valley, this is real stuff. This is real Christian living. And you're not alone. You're not going through a valley because God doesn't love you or because you're not saved or because you made a wrong turn. Christian, Christian living in this life is not always a mountaintop experience. It is a journey. And as we go from one mountaintop to the next, sometimes we go through very dark valleys in life. And God wants you to know this morning, don't be confused of the valley. Don't think that God doesn't love you. Don't think that you've done something wrong. Don't think that God's punishing you because you're going through a valley. This is life. And and, and in our text, if we really look at the, the attitude of the text, we understand God is leading the sheep to green pasture. There is somewhere that He's taking them, but in order to get where He's taking them, there's some valleys that they have to go through. I don't like the valley as much as the next man, but I can tell you some things, brothers and sisters, There are some things that God has fed my soul. There are some things that God has done in me. There are some things that I have learned as a result of being led through the valley that I never would have learned and I never would have got there had I stayed on the mountaintop and not gone through the valley. So this morning, if you're going through a valley, if you find yourself struggling, know that your God is still in control. He is still leading you. Just keep your focus on Him and understand you're going to make it through. Which brings me to the next point. Yea, though I walk through. Though I walk through. Though I walk through. He's very careful not to use the word in. I mean, he is in it. But he doesn't even use the word in. He says through. The psalmist says, let's get some perspective here. You're not staying here long. You're going to come up out of this thing on the other side. And I do walk through it. 
It, it, it is something that's going to happen, but understand this morning, it is a through passageway. That's one of the things about valleys. Valleys are through passageways. There is a beginning and there is an ending of the valley. There is a time where you come into the valley and there is a time where you come out of the valley. A valley is not a dead end. A valley is not a cave. A valley is not a trail that leads to nowhere. A valley eventually has an opening. And the Word of God tells us, Yea, though I walk through the valley... God is with me. I'm not going to stay in this thing. I'm not going to be in this thing the rest of my life. But I'm going to come out through this on the other side. This morning, if you're in a valley, understand God will bring you out through it. Don't even use the word in it. I'm just going through it. I might be walking through this thing right now, but I'm going to come out on the other side. Can I tell you something this morning? There are no dead ends to God's path. There are no dead ends to God's path. If you haven't been here for the whole sermon series, some of what I'm referencing, um, you're not going to fully get. But we've already discussed the reality that God is the God who leads us. We've looked at that twice so far in this sermon series. He's the God who leads us. And as we are led by God and we follow God, notice where He leads us. Through valleys. That's where God leads us. He leads us through valleys, but He's with us in the valley. He leads us through them. And here's what you need to know. There are no dead ends on God's path. God sees the beginning from the end. And you might be somewhere in your life right now where you feel like you're at a dead end. You feel like, you know what, life is over as I know it. Life is over as I know it. There's, there, there's nothing else to do. I'm at a dead end in life. No, you're not. You are not at a dead end in life. You will wake up tomorrow and you will still be breathing. There is still life in your bones. There is still life in your blood. There is still life in your body. There is still life in your soul because God does not have dead ends. It might not have worked the way you thought it was going to work. It might feel like your career is ripped out from under your feet and everything you thought life was going to give you, all of a sudden you find out, no, that's not the way it's going to go. But listen, God does not have dead ends. God might just be taking you through a different path that you had not foreseen. We experience this with relationships, divorces at times, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a spouse, death. And at times it can feel like I've just hit a dead end. You know, there have been times in my life that I felt like, I mean, I knew I was going to live, but I thought life could never be the same again. You ever felt that way? I mean, there's just life. What, what, what just happened, life could never, ever, 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 ever be right. And I'm just going to have to learn now how to live with a life that's not right. I'm here to tell you on the authority of the Word of God, and time after time after time of my own experiences in life, there are no dead ends on God's path for your life. It might feel that way, but it's not. You're coming up through this thing. You're not just in a valley until you die. 
You're not walking into a humongous cave where there's no way up. God leads you through. And then it says, the valley of the shadow of death. The valley of the shadow of death. That's an interesting, an interesting statement. The valley of the shadow of death is most likely a real place. Most scholars believe it is a passage called the Wadi Kelt. It's a narrow passage that shepherds do often lead their sheep out through uh, because it takes them down by the Jordan eventually where there are green pastures. But it can be a dangerous passageway. The, uh, a lot of times the roads they have to take are very steep. They are uh, very thin at times and, and trying to get your sheep where you need to get them can be a dangerous thing. It's called the shadow of death, though. The valley of the shadow of death. Not the valley of death. There is an actual death valley. It's in California. It's super hot there. This is the valley of the shadow of death. I can't help but think that I've been scared by a lot of shadows in my life. But it turns out it was just a shadow. Rob Morgan talked about an experience that he had with his one of his kids in uh, Japan or China, where they have those um, those rail those ra- uh, railways. What, what am I trying to say here? Trains that are really super fast. They go almost 350 miles an hour. It's incredible. They're they're about as fast as a plane. And he told a story of being near one of the rails with his son. I mean, they were in safe standing distance, but they were able to watch one of these trains come by at over 300 miles an hour. He said it was awesome and scary. I mean, I imagine being by something on the ground going that fast would kind of make your heart thrill. He said, but what's incredible was we were close enough that when it came by, we were hit by the shadow. And he made the statement that isn't it interesting that a shadow moving uh, of a locomotive train moving 300 miles an hour could hit both him and his young son and do absolutely nothing to them. Couldn't even feel it. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's not the real thing. It might look like the real thing, but it's not the real thing. And the reason that it's not the real thing, and the reason that it's not really a threat, the reason that it's not really death for the Christian, for the saved, for the redeemed, is because God is with us. Because Jesus was nailed to a cross and was willing to take the penalty of death on our behalf. Was willing to be hung out and hung between the earth and the heavens, and to bleed and die there and take the wrath of God, to take the penalty of death upon Himself, so that He could say, though you die, yet will you live. For the Christian death is really just a passage into the next life. This is why Paul could say, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? It's just the shadow. There's certainly the implication of death, physical death, 
But I want to tell you this morning, the principle applies to almost everything we face as Christians. It's just a shadow. How many of you have ever been hit by the shadow? You thought you were going down. You thought it was all over. You thought everything as you knew it was done. Felt like it could never be right again. Felt like God could never use you. Felt like things could never be right in your marriage. Felt like things could never be right with you and your relationship with God. Whatever the situation may be, it felt like everything was caving in. And come to find out it's just a shadow. My God was with me in the valley. My God gave me strength to come out. He is the God that protects me from my enemies. He is the God that's leading me, that is with me at all times. It's closer than a brother. He is the God that knows everything that's happening around me, who is sovereign, who is in control. And though it might have looked like death, though it might have looked like it was all over, though it might have looked like this was the last time that I could ever mess up and God used me, God said, it's just a shadow, son. It's just a shadow, daughter. It's just a shadow, child. You're going to be all all right, you're going to make it up out of this thing. The blood is sufficient for your forgiveness. My grace is sufficient for you. My plans are not thwarted as we walk through this valley. Don't give up. Don't quit moving. Don't call it quits. It's only a shadow. It's not as bad as you think it is. You're going to be okay when you come through this valley. How many shadows have you been through? How many shadows have you been through? I've been through a lot in my life. There have been a lot of times that train was close enough that I'm telling you, my heart was beating. I thought, oh, God, how are we going to make it through this? Lord, are we too close? Have I messed up? Have I done it wrong? Did I miss you here? Did I miss you there? It's just a shadow. I serve the God who is the sovereign God who is in control of all things who outsmarts my enemies, who outpowers my enemies, who is greater than my enemies, who is in control of, yes, even my enemies, who has the world in His hands. That's my God this morning. And because of that, the psalmist says, I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. The word evil there is a word that certainly can mean evil. When we think about the word evil, we think about um, devils and demons, and we think about um, you know everything that is contrary to God. But the word evil also means calamity. It is translated calamity, it, it, ruin, destruction. When our circumstances don't go our way, when our physical world seems to be crumbling and we are in calamity, he says, I will fear no evil even then. I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. See, that's really the, the, the key to Christian living is understanding, knowing, and living in the reality that God is with us. You are not in this alone. The devil wants you to think you're alone. He wants you to think you're fighting alone. He wants you to think there's nobody in this world that understands what you're going through. First of all, there are other people that understand what you're going through. You are not the only person who's ever been through the valley you're walking through. You are not. Don't buy that lie and don't give yourself that much credit. 
We all go through valleys. We all suffer. We, 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 and many of us through different things. But there, we all go through heartaches. And while it might be true, might, that at least in your life, the people you know, you might be able to say none of them know the pain that I'm dealing with. God does know. He does know. He knows every detail. He knows every fearful thought you've ever had. He knows every anxious thought that's ever come to your mind. He knows every pain that you've dealt with. He does know. And here's the comfort why I can say, I will not fear what happens to me. I will not fear calamity in my life. I will not fear what goes wrong tomorrow. I will not fear what happens in the valley. I will not fear when I'm walking through the valley for one reason and one reason only. God, because You are with me. I can't help but believe somebody here this morning, God wants you to hear it in the depth of your spirit, in the depth of your soul, Child, I am with you. I'm with you. You might feel like nobody else is, but God says He's with you. He's with you. He's with you now. He'll be with you in an hour. He'll be with you tonight when you lay your head down to sleep. And He'll be with you tomorrow when you've got to pick your feet back up and start walking through this thing that we call life. He is with us and therefore we can fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your rod and your staff. To the best of my studies, I haven't been able to prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt, but to the best of my studies, there is no evidence that a shepherd had two staffs. He just carried one. And these are two different words. One is rod, and the other is staff. The shepherd's staff was used for two things. It was used to fight off enemies that were a threat to the sheep. It was used for protection of the sheep, if you will. Obviously, it was used for helping climb terrain and that type of thing and balance. And from that point of view, I thank God that my God has a rod that can keep my enemies at bay. That can keep the devil at bay. Doesn't mean he's never going to come at us and attack us. Doesn't mean it's not ever going to feel like that very first a sermon of this series when we talked about those, those thousands of sheep that had been surrounded by the coyotes and they didn't know what to do. But look to the shepherd. Brothers and sisters, we are going to feel that way sometimes. There is nothing to do but look to the shepherd. I thank God my shepherd has a rod that's bigger than my enemies. I thank God that he's got the ability with one single swoop to take every enemy that would come against me and just demolish it at His will. That's the power of the God that I serve. And so I will not fear my enemies. I will not fear those that come against me. And I will not fear the devil because greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. So the rod has application to the protection of the shepherd from the enemy. But I think it's especially significant the word the rod and staff. They comfort me. 
They comfort me. The rod in the Bible is a word that's used for discipline. Spare the rod, spoil the child. Boy, we've watched that come true over the last 20 years in America. That's another sermon another time. But the rod is used for discipline. It is a term that deals with discipline. It's also a term that could use with God, you know, the, the shepherd beating off the enemies. But it, it is a, that, that, that word rod, it comes with that idea. Isn't it interesting you would say your rod comforts me? I have no doubt that the, the com, one comfort of the rod of God is that it does fight off the enemies. But I'm comforted when God has to discipline me. Not, could be, not because I like discipline. But Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that the Father disciplines the Son whom He loves. And I don't like discipline as much as the next man. I don't like God having to pull out His rod on my life and discipline me. But it reminds me that He loves me. It reminds me that He loves me too much to let me go at my own way. And that He's willing to guide me and direct me with His loving discipline if it is necessary in my life. And you know why that gives me comfort? It gives me comfort to know that God's involved in my life. It gives me comfort to know that God is not going to leave me to myself. If God left us to ourselves, what poor shape would we be in? But He doesn't. Because He has a plan for us. Because He has a path for us. Because He has a desire to use us for His name's sake. As we learned last week, He wants to use us. He wants to, to magnify His name and He wants us to be part of that plan. And at times it requires that God brings out the rod of discipline. Brothers and sisters, we are in dangerous shape, spiritually speaking, when we are unwilling to be spiritually disciplined. When the only thing that we are ever willing to hear is something that we think we want to hear, what we want to be fed, what, what we agree with. We must be willing to have sincere, open hearts when we hear the Word of God preached, when we read the Word of God in our own private time, we must have sincere, honest, open, and willing hearts to say, God, if there's anything in me that You are trying to, to discipline out of me, that You are trying to deal with, Lord, I give You me. And when we're not willing to do that, when we show up with an attitude of, nobody's going to tell me how I ought to treat my wife. Nobody's going to tell me how I should be around my friends. Nobody's going to, to, to tell me how I should or shouldn't live. That's just between me and God. When we show up with that attitude, we are in a dangerous place, spiritually speaking. Because the rod of God is a loving discipline. Then he says, and your staff. Your rod and your staff. The word staff, even though I, I'm totally convinced it is the exact same thing. The shepherd's staff, most shepherd's staffs, had a hook on it. It wasn't just a straight rod. It, was, it had a hook on it. And they would use that hook at times if they were, for example, going down the valley of the shadow of death. I think it's probably significant the rod and staff are mentioned here. 
and you had a sheep that was getting too close to the edge or maybe had a leg that slipped off, he would take that staff and he would wrap it around the sheep any way he could, whether it was a leg to pull it up, whether it was around its neck, and he would pull that thing to it to make sure it didn't fall down into a, into a pit. God has a way of doing that for us. You know, sometimes we really are trying to walk. Sometimes we really are trying to be led by the shepherd. Can we be honest? Sometimes, even when we're really doing our best, we misstep and we find ourselves about to fall off the cliff. And we're thinking, God, how could this happen? I was trying to follow You. I was doing the best that I knew how. I was praying. I was listening. And and yet I made a wrong step. And you feel like you're going to fall. Thank God for the grace of God. And thank God for a loving God that knows our hearts that can see that we're doing all we can to to let Him lead us and to follow our Shepherd. And I'm here to tell you, don't be fearful if you make a wrong step because the staff of the Shepherd is able to reach out there and pull you back up onto the path. That comforts me. That comforts me to know I don't have to make every step right. That comforts me to know I can make a wrong step and I can fall and I can stumble, but I've got a shepherd who's got a staff that can just reach down and pull me back up. That gives me some comfort, amen? That gives me comfort to keep these old feet of mine moving. Not just to stay put, because I feel like I'm on solid ground, don't want to ever fall. No, God says, it's okay, you keep moving. We've got more things to do with you in life. My path with you is not done. I'm leading you to more green pasture. Your life is not over. You just keep your feet moving and trust me, son. Trust me, daughter. Trust me, child. The Lord says that I have the ability to lift you up when you fall. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. I'm done this morning. I want to close with a thought on comfort. They comfort me. I want you for a moment to please listen to these words and ask yourself, do they go along with the word comfort? Valley. Shadow. Death. Fear. Evil. Rod. Comfort. That's not probably the word I would have thrown in there if I was thinking what was the next progression of words. I don't know about you. It teaches us that this life is not always easy, guys. It's just not. It's not. It's hard sometimes. Relationships are hard. Marriage is hard. Being a father is hard. Being a mother is hard. Paying the bills is hard. Dealing with family is hard. Dealing with death is hard. Life is hard. And yet we have this promise that He says, even though I go through all of it, I find comfort in you. Guys, there really is no such thing as comfort outside of God. We sang the song this morning that His love is everlasting. That's why we can be comforted in God because God's not going to change. He does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's with us always. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. And outside of that promise, and outside of a God that is that big and that powerful and that great, and outside of a relationship with that God, there is no such thing as lasting comfort in this life. But to think that there is comfort in the arms of that God 
to think that there is comfort in the face of the valley of the shadow of death. To think that there is comfort in the face of evil. I will not fear it because God is with me. His rod and His staff, they comfort me. This morning, if you're lost, God wants to save you. This morning, if you're lost, there is nothing that we as a people, in this church at least, desire more than to see you come to know Jesus Christ and the free pardon of sin. We want you to know the comfort of the Savior. What does it mean to be lost? If I was to say it short and simple, what does it mean to be lost? It means you need to be found. It means you need to be willing to let the shepherd wrap you up and make you one of his sheep. To be saved is more than belief. The Bible tells us that even the devils believe and they tremble. There are a lot of people who believe in Jesus, who can tell you how to be saved, who can tell you what the Bible says, and they're still going to go to hell forever. You've got to place your faith in Jesus. And the Bible teaches us that placing your faith means to turn your life to God and follow Him. It it, it deals with belief. If you really believe that He's God, then you will obey Him. Jesus said, Why do you call Me Lord and not do the things I say? So what does it mean to be lost? It simply means you have never made Jesus your Lord. It means you need to repent of your sins, acknowledge that you're a sinner, Ask God to forgive you. Ask God to fill you with His his life and make a conscious, public decision to serve Jesus. If you're lost this morning, I pray that you'd come to know the comfort of the Savior. And if you're saved here this morning, God just might have brought you by here to remind you it's through the valley that He's leading us. It's through the valley. Some of you are on your way into the valley. Some of you are in the valley. And some of you have just come up out of it. But we can all testify, thank God, we're going through it. Amen? Lord, I pray that You'd move all across this room. I pray, God, You'd finish what You've started. God, I pray You'd take the words that I've said and that You'd somehow make them make sense in the, in the soul of these people, God. Let Your words be spiritual words spoken to spiritual people. In Jesus' name. Thank you.